I'll be looking at Matthew 25 today. Uh, Matthew 25 is a series of two or three, three or four parables, depending if you want to put one in the parabolic category. Um, but today is the, um, the t- a very uh, well-known parable about uh, Jesus' distribution of talents. And uh, I'll talk about this. My sermon's based on this. You might want to follow along. But I do ask you to listen, because this is God's word to us. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Again it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one who had two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five talents. Look, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had two talents also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two talents. Look, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's joy. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your word, but without your spirit, we are without understanding. So give your spirit so that we might hear and understand rightly what you speak to us on this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So over these last weeks, uh, we have been looking at the stewardship question, the stew-q. And the stew-q, the stewardship question is, what is is it that the church does that only the church does, and if it wasn't for the church, it wouldn't happen, it wouldn't be going on? That's the stew-q, okay? So I want to set up this kind of image. I want you to imagine a man has just won the lottery, the big one, okay? And he is now on television, being interviewed by local news. He's got a brand new baseball cap on. He's got a t-shirt with print everywhere. 
He's got his jeans on, his hands in his pocket, chewing gum, you know what I'm saying. And he's saying, you know, I'm not changing. Nope, it, it doesn't affect me. I'm not going to change at all. I'm not going to change at all. And I'm watching that, and I'm thinking, what? Let's look at this parable about the man who was unchanged. This parable, I think the first thing we need to say is a peculiar parable in terms of stories that Jesus told. And it's peculiar on a number of levels. Let me just highlight a few, although there's more. As in all, often happens in Jesus' parables, especially parables about the end time, which really aren't parables about the end time, they're parables about what we should be doing now in anticipation of the end time. But in this parable, as in the others, the master has gone away. And he's delayed in coming back. But delay does not mean disinterest. It just means he's delayed. But he's very interested in what's going on back at home. Now... <clears throat> What we see in this parable is that there's a number of characters. Each of them is abled in different ways. So there is an unequal distribution of ability. And that should go without saying, right? Some of us are more abled than others. We're not all equal in terms of ability. And God distributes talents, or the, uh, the uh, owner distributes talents in, in terms of the people's ability. A talent is a unit of wealth. Now, what's really peculiar about this parable is this. In virtually all the parables that Jesus tells, especially about the coming again of the master when the master's delayed, virtually all of them are agrarian-based. They're about farming. And you can think of all those parables that Jesus tells about farming. The guy who took the, takes the seed and throws it everywhere, or the guy who has the sheep and he goes looking for the lost one. I mean, story after story, parable over parable, is about farming or agriculture. This one is about money, the monetary system, and banking, finances, which is very peculiar in terms of the stories that Jesus tells. So what happens? The master gathers together his servants, in this case, to make the short story a little bit shorter, three servants, and he distributes the talents. Now, as I said, a talent is a unit of wealth. So we need to talk about this for a minute because there's all kinds of stuff going on here. The first thing that we need to say is that from a biblical understanding, and once you kind of get this in your head, all or a lot of the other stories about wealth start to make more sense. That from a biblical perspective, wealth, especially coinage, especially uh, you know, monetary system, wealth is not neutral. It has an allure, it has an appeal, it has a power in and of itself. And so when Jesus talks about wealth, he uses what we get our English word mammon, which means more than cash, it means wealth. But he sets up these scenarios in which he says, for example, don't trust unrighteous wealth. Wealth itself is unrighteous. Or he sets up the dichotomy and he says, you can either serve God or mammon. He doesn't set that up with anything else. Although there are other things that can be worshiped, but wealth itself virtually demands that we worship it. And so, for example, and this is a whole different sermon that I won't go into, one of the reasons we put a discipline on our wealth, like tithing, is so that we can learn to control it rather than it controlling us. So maybe that's a, like a minor point that we need to say in terms of the stew cue. 
We are the ones that understand the power, the allure, the attraction of wealth, that it needs to be controlled or it will start controlling us. So wealth has this kind of power. Now a talent is a coin that has tremendous amount of value. I'll get to that in a minute. But let me suggest that uh, if we look at coinage and if we look at the monetary system in Jesus' day, in fact, any time, but we're looking at Jesus' day, it's extremely difficult to try to come up with modern equivalencies. So how much is a denarii worth? How much is a talent worth? It's very difficult, and in fact, if you noticed in, our, in the footnote in our Bible, it gave a monetary amount. If you have the uh, study Bibles and it, it has those charts at the end, those are very unreliable things for a number of reasons. To, to make monetary equivalencies is tough enough as it is. But one of the reasons in Jesus' time, especially in an agrarian society which Jesus lived in, is that bartering was extremely popular. So, for example, if you were a baker, and if you needed a new pair of socks, you would go to the weaver with five loaves of bread and you, know, and you wouldn't use money, which is to say that in the everyday living, people could go for weeks without using coinage. They would barter. So what they did with their coins, now they used coins, you needed to um, pay taxes and you know, other things like that, but what you oftentimes did with coins is that you saved them and used them for retirement or an equivalency of retirement. And the way you saved coins, everybody saved coins, is by putting them in a little leather pouch and burying it in your dirt floor. Now this we know absolutely, no question about this, in archaeological digs over and over again, when you find a footprint of a house, if you dig around a little bit, they will find little uh, leather sacks with coins because that's where you save money. Why? Because it was safe, it was dependable, and I'm going to get in trouble with this one. You would never, never trust a banker, ever. <laughs> Bankers, I keep having to look down here. <laughs> Bankers, well, not modern bankers are sleazy people. <laughs> From a biblical point of view, I'm not exaggerating. If you look at the Old Testament, for example, bankers, all bankers did this. All bankers in antiquity did this. This is what bankers did. They charged exorbitant interest rates. What's that called in the Old Testament? Usury. And that's a sin. That's one of the big sins. I mean, a banker is somebody you wouldn't associate with. You put them in the category of tax collectors and prostitutes and bankers. Who would eat dinner with those? Well, maybe. Jesus, but you know what I'm saying. They, so when you have some wealth, what do you do with it? You, you put it in a little, le little leather sack and you bury it in the floor of your house. It's safe. It's dependable. You know where it is. You're going to get to it. And you don't have to associate with a banker. So that when Jesus says a very peculiar thing, you should have put it with a banker. Wow. So, here we have Jesus giving, understanding equivalencies are hard, but Jesus, or the master, this is basically talking about himself. The master calls together three servants. He gives one talent to one, two talents to the other, and five talents. A talent, understanding equivalencies, is worth 6,000 denarii. 
A denare, roughly equivalent, is the salary that a peasant or a working class person would use for one day's labor. If you got 6,000 denarii, which is roughly equivalent to a talent, you have just received, for one talent, 16 and a half years worth of wages. Bingo! You hit the lottery! Do you hear how much money that is? 16 and a half years worth of money. You just made it big. And if I'm going to do any kind of equivalency, What's the difference between one and two denarii? It's like listening to the boys arguing in the NBA, either the owners or the players. I mean, what's the difference between like $10 million and $15 million? You can buy a big car no matter how many denarii you have or talents you have. The guy won a lot of money. And the master comes and he gives a talent, two talents, five talents. So Let's focus in on the one-talent guy, because, in fact, the parable spends more time on him than anybody else, so it's the focus. He got one talent, 16 and a half years' worth of wages, lots of money. I want to suggest that, for all kinds of reasons, most of us can identify with the one-talent person. First of all, many of us have low self-esteem. Everybody else has more talent than I do deal with it. Most of us do. Or a lot of us set our sights very, very high. And when you set your sights and your heroes very, very high, and you realize how lacking you are. So if I'm having a good day with my running friends, for example, and I say, hey, you know, I'm no Jim Ryan, and they would say, Jim, nobody has ever accused you of that. I mean, what are you thinking? You know, get off that platform. You're not there. Most of us understand what it is to be a one-talented person. And what does this one-talented person do? He does what literally everybody would do. He doesn't associate with bankers, yuck. He buries it so that it's safe. He does what everybody is expected to do. And so, I well imagine that this guy with one talent who has just won the lottery, one whole talent, 16 and a half years, he's on the news got his new baseball cap on, t-shirt with print everywhere, his jeans on, he's got his hands in his pocket, and he's chewing gum. And he's saying, nope, no, my life's not going to change. You know what I'm saying? My life's not going to change. I mean, I got 16 and a half years, I'd probably be dead before, but you know, I'm not going to change. And I'm watching that, and I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? You just received, and this is what this parable is about, you just received the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You just received the forgiveness of sin. Not because you're wearing a nice hat, but because God did something for you in Christ Jesus, and it's a gift, and it's been done. It's a, a decision that God made, and it's been handed to you. You just receive the Holy Spirit of Christ, and it's poured out on you, and if you have any sense at all, you'll receive it into your life. You have received the guarantee of eternal life, not because you got a nice t-shirt on, but because Christ rose from the dead, and death is defeated. You have received the confidence that nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ, and you're standing there saying, nope, my life isn't changed. What is wrong with you? And so maybe the question, the Stu Q, how is our life changed? And how, if we have received such a wealth, how is that exhibited in our life in the world since we have received such wealth? Let me suggest that we are 
a multi-talented church. And the question for us is, how do we take this and not bury it, but translate this so that it becomes a treasure that's stored up, not in the dirt, but treasure stored up in heaven? How do we take the talents that we've been given and translate them to something of eternal value? Let me create an acronym, because I do that. <laughs> How do we do that? W. We have been given worship. We have been entrusted with sacred worship. We have been trusted with the things of God, with the words of God, with the songs of God, with the worship of God, so that we can have this, so that we can come together and not just make up stuff about God, which is what people do, and then worship whatever it is they make up, including wealth. Cannot serve both God and mammon. But we come together and we have been entrusted with sacred worship. What have we been entrusted with that nobody else can do? Worship. Evangelism. If we are not spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, the wealth that God has given to us, then who's doing that? Nobody else is doing it. If it's not us, it's not getting done. Worship, the sacred worship of God. Evangelism, assistance to the poor. Now, a lot of people assist the poor, but we as church, as the body of Christ, as the people of God, we feed not only the bread that fills the stomach, but the bread that fills the heart. And if we are not doing it, it's not getting done. Worship, evangelism, assistance to the poor, learning opportunities, which includes teaching the Bible to first graders and adults, that's why we have four adult classes, and retreats, and if we're not teaching the things of God, it's not getting taught. Learning opportunities about the things of God. Worship, evangelism, assistance to the poor, learning opportunities about the importance of God, the things of God, the scriptures of God. You spelling this out? Teen and youth ministries. Can I talk about that for a minute? What, teens, that's teen cornerback day. Y'all here last Thursday, cause? We had 35 teens here. 35 teens. There's quite a good deal of evidence upstairs about that, but we'll talk about that in a different place. <laughs> 35 teens. You know what they were talking about? They were talking about self-destructive behavior in the light of Jesus Christ. Where else is that happening? Where else are we talking about the love of God to kids who have to deal with all that kind of stuff they have to deal with? If we're not doing it, it's not getting done. Worship, evangelism, assistance to the poor, learning opportunities, teen ministries, and youth ministries, and children's ministries, and healing ministries. We are healing the heart, not just the body. And if we're not doing that, it's not getting done. And so the question for us, I believe, is how do we change this? Not just bury it in the ground, but change it into something of lasting and eternal value, storing up treasures in heaven. It seems to me that is not simply the stewardship question. That is the stewardship mandate. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks. That wealth 
that cannot be taken with us can be stored up and have eternal value. We give to you our hearts, our minds, our wills, our thinking, our wealth, our past, our future. Everything is yours. We offer it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.